0: on this episode of the jeff does vegas podcast
1: the costumes were so elaborate and some of them were so heavy and um the headdresses that we wore the backpacks the hats uh some some of the things could weigh up to 30 pounds sitting on your on your head and your shoulders and because you have all this weight on top of your head you can't look down so when you're going down these giant staircases that we had in finale at the end of the show you can't look down if you look down then your whole hack could take you down, tumbling down hundreds of stairs in the middle of the show.
0: In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, Lost Wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city, the sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you, taking you to the world famous Vegas Strip and beyond. My name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 82 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Before we dive into this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode, C. Reggie Rogers of Connoisseur Entertainment and Action Shot Productions. Reggie and his team are behind a new documentary called Closed for Business, chronicling the COVID-19 shutdown in Las Vegas and telling the stories of those most affected by the shutdown. If you want to learn more about the documentary and find out how you can help get it released, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 81, Closed for Business, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, here we go. On to the show. My guest for this episode of the podcast is a Vegas showgirl, And I'm not talking about the showgirls you see strolling the strip, posing in pictures with tourists for tips. I mean, she is a legit Las Vegas showgirl. Danny Elizabeth began dancing as a small child, and she just never really stopped. Growing up in upstate New York, she studied marketing and advertising in university, continuing to dance through her college years with her school's dance team and arena football team, and she even performed as a famous superhero at a Six Flags theme park. Making her way to Los Angeles, she was able to train with a world-renowned Broadway dancer and choreographer, which eventually led to her securing her very first Vegas gig in one of the most legendary shows to ever grace the strip. Following the closure of that show in 2016, Danny moved on to be a part of another legendary Vegas show where she's since worked as a dancer and host. Danny and I talked about all of this during our chat, as well as how she's been staying busy during the COVID 19 shutdown, including planning a wedding and starting a new business venture with another Vegas headliner. Please enjoy my conversation with Danny Elizabeth.
1: up in upstate New York, Schenectady County. Um, it's just outside of Albany, and it's very, very cold. So I knew when I finished high school, I needed to find warm weather. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of the humidity. So of course, my, you know, my parents were like, Oh, why don't you go down to Florida? Because it's easy enough to fly down, you know, on the on the coast to, to be able to come see us. But of course, no, I chose the opposite side of the country. So. I uh, left New York and found myself doing an internship um, at the time when I was in college in LA because I knew I was like, okay, LA, there's, you know, entertainment, and I can still dance and be a part of that world and uh, finish up my schooling there working in marketing. So I found myself in LA uh, as soon as I could.
0: (laughs) And so how old were you when you started? dancing. I mean, this is something I know from having family members who have been involved in dance and stuff. It's something that you start doing when you're what's the old expression when you're knee high to a grasshopper.
1: Yes, pretty much. I was four years old. So I, I was in preschool, I could barely uh, say my ABCs, but I was dancing. (laughs) And and I continued all the way throughout high school. And the older um, that I got as you know, the same for most dancers or any athlete really, your training increases. So, you know, whereas I was, I was only doing when I was super young, one class for 40 minutes a week, and then progressively it becomes an hour class then an hour and a half. And then before you know it, you're up to three to five days a week at an hour and a half class, and sometimes two classes back to back. And that's where I was at by the time I finished high school.
0: And then you mentioned um, going to college. Um, now I know from speaking with other performers. Um, They go into life with the intention of becoming a professional performer, but realize that, uh, the chances of that actually occurring may, may not be all that high.
1: I need a backup plan.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And so for you, um, marketing and advertising was, was your backup plan, correct?
1: That was my first thing. Yeah, my parents um, were very adamant about me not just getting out of high school and auditioning for a bunch of things, because, you know, a a lot of a lot of people my age were at 18 auditioning for the cruise ships, which was great. It was like, you know, getting paid to go to college, so to speak. And, uh, you know, my parents were like, you know, you really have to get a college degree. Uh, We'd love for you to do that. So you have something to fall back on and then do whatever you want. So I was like, okay, well, fine. So I, that's exactly what I did. I went to school for marketing, um, uh, you know, and I, I learned a lot of uh, things that I use to this day. I um, uh, worked for a company in L.A. that was a startup marketing firm, and I did a lot of the social media stuff. And I wrote pitch letters and press releases and all sorts of cool things that um, to this day I still use as part of my side business. <laughs>
0: Right. And in going to college, um, in your your off time, um, you did a lot while you were there that was related directly back to your dancing that helped to uh move your dance career forward.
1: Yes, I always my growing up, my uh ballet teacher, she told me she said, you know, even if you you don't wanna do anything with dance, she said, never stop dancing. You know, it's like because it's a great workout and also mentally it, it keeps uh, keeps you disciplined and and clear-minded. Um, and so I always did do that besides the fact that I, I love to perform. So throughout my college experience, I was on uh, the first school I went to, UNC Charlotte in North Carolina. I um, made their dance team, which was a big deal because it was division, it was a, a D1 uh, team. It was one of the best teams in the nation. So it was there was no downtime. We rehearsed all the time. We didn't have a spring break. We used that as training. We learned five new numbers a day and, and it was really cool. And our basketball team actually made it to the first round of the NCAAs. And I was one of the dancers that was chosen from our school in North Carolina to be a part of that first round, to be able to dance at halftime, which was really awesome. But out of all the places that they had the first round of the tournament, Ours was in Buffalo, New York. So they flew us to Buffalo, New York. I I was like, really, out of all the places, it couldn't have been Orlando, Florida, or, you know, you know, the the West Coast somewhere. I was like, of course, Buffalo, New York. But that was a really cool experience. And then I had finished up school in New York. And um, when I was up there doing that, I was on the um, arena football team. And it was the Albany Firebirds. So I got to do that. And that one particular summer uh, while I was on break from school, I did the dance team for the Firebirds and then uh, at night. And then during the day, I worked as Wonder Woman at the Six Flags in upstate New York. (laughs) (laughs) So I had like double duty entertainment jobs going on that summer, but it was a great time.
0: That's awesome. Wonder Woman. Yes. I've, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that have done character work like that at theme parks and they've always said uh, how much fun it is and how rewarding of a gig it actually is oh
1: it really is i kids look up to you and you're like oh my gosh you know who i am but they know who the character is but they you know the parks take that job very seriously before we were even allowed to be um in the costume on property we had to learn how to do the official signature for whatever character it was that you, you played and you had to get signed off on that to make sure that the signature looked legit because everybody around the world knows wonder woman.
0: That's so awesome. I love that. Um, so following your stint as wonder woman, uh, you made your way all the way to the extreme opposite end of the country, West coast, you landed an internship in LA.
1: Uh, yes. So I used my I used the opportunity of getting an internship um, to relocate myself. <laughs> so I was in upstate New York. I finished off school at Cortland. It's a state school and I needed an internship. So I was you know, looking all over on LinkedIn, all over the Internet and even on Craigslist uh, for anyone advertising for some sort of marketing f- firm um, needing interns. So in Glendale, California, a company came up and I applied to it. And then we had a, a phone interview and they're like, okay, well, if you're willing to move out here, cause the internship didn't pay for me to move there and to live and, you know, reside in California. And I was like, yes, I'm already planning on moving there. Um, which, you know, I was, but I kind of, uh, needed more of a reason just to (laughs) rather than just moving. I needed to finish my school. Right. So, um, I ended up getting the internship and I did, I moved out. And then three months after I finished the internship, it turned into a job, which was great. So I was with that company, um, until the company went under, uh, for about a year and a half. And then at that point in time, I was like, you know what? Um, I had been dancing and training a lot out there. And I was like, you know, I think that this is the time that I, I got to take the next like year and just put myself out there for everything and see if something comes of it.
0: And while you were in LA, you got to work with, um, Jennifer Nairn Smith Mm -hmm. and for those that aren't maybe theater nerds or, or dance nerds, they may not realize who Jennifer Nairn Smith is. Do you want to kind of just let, let everybody in on, on, on the amazingness of this person?
1: Uh, she is amazing. She's, uh, an Australian born dancer and she worked with George Balanchine, Bob Fosse. Uh, she was in all that jazz, uh, the best little whorehouse of Texas. She did great things, um, and worked with amazing people throughout her career and has always had ballet as her main source of training and her main, like her main background. So I think, um, what comes with that is a, an extreme sense of discipline and a knowingness. And she prides herself on creating dancers and creating their success. And I feel very blessed and lucky enough to be a part of her life and to have, uh, you know, the training that I've had from her.
0: And so how did that even come to be? I mean, how do you end up working with a world famous performer like that?
1: First of all, what you have to also understand about Jennifer is she's still she is still in her mind, twenty-two years old, and she is all over LA. She is call- she'll call places up and say, "I'll teach there. I'll teach th- a master there." And she also has a studio behind her house, and that's uh, towards the end. That's where I spent most of my time. Um, But I ended up meeting her at the studio in Hollywood called IDA International Dance Academy. And at the time, um, she just wanted to teach one or two classes a week uh, at that location to be more in the Hollywood scene. And and even though that studio concentrated more on commercial dancing and hip hop and heels and stylized, not necessarily a ballet background, um, it brought her a lot of people, uh, myself included. And so after I met her, she told me about her studio where she just has a few people uh, for each class come to her house and she teaches uh, five ballet classes a week. So I I signed myself right up for that. And because I wasn't uh, working at the time, I was just trying to train and work my little odd uh, gigs on the side and keep my schedule available for auditioning. I didn't have a whole lot of money to invest in the classes. So uh, Jennifer, being the pet lover that she is, uh, has... Well, at least at the time, um, she had about five dogs, four cats, and (laughs) maybe a fish somewhere or or two, (laughs) but um, so she uh, was so wonderful and made a deal with me, and I would take her 9 a.m. ballet class, so I would get to her house at 7.45 in the morning, and then I would take all five dogs at the same time for an hour-long walk. And then bring them back and then go out to her back studio. And at 9 a.m., we would do an hour-long ballet class or a ballet bar. And she would always, and to this day, still teaches the original Balanchine ballet bar that she uh, took uh, when she was in the New York City Ballet.
0: Wow. It's just one of those weird kind of synergy things, right? Just right place, right time.
1: Yes, it truly is. Uh, the universe is always, uh, always looking out for you
0: was was dance for you was it always ballet was that what you you started in as a kid
1: Yeah that was my uh that was the main form or main style of dance that I studied from the time I was 4 and then before to uh the end of high school but there were a, like a year or two in between where I would take certain jazz classes and courses and things like that a little bit but I always strictly stuck with the ballet because um even when I was young uh Marilyn Ramsey um was my teacher and she even said if you have ballet as your basis you can do anything and i I do believe that to be true even today
0: so then how and when did you make the jump from los angeles over to las vegas
1: uh well thanks to jennifer um because i thought i was like okay well you know i'm in my upper 20s it must be too late for me to be a professional dancer and she said "Uh uh-uh you have at least another solid ten years, if not more. I was like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> so she kept pushing me and pushing me, and I went to every audition I could, and then I, I and I gave myself um, it was a year a year timeline. I said, "I will audition from now until this time next year, and you know if I have tried everything and nothing is working out, then you know I'll come back to the idea of maybe I need to do something else, or you know add." something else to my uh, daily life instead of just focusing on trying to get a dance job. And uh, so I went to a bunch of things. And within the last few months of that year, I went to an audition for a show in Las Vegas. It was called uh, Donna Arden's Jubilee, uh, shortly known Jubilee. And I was at a casino out here. And at the time I had only been to Las Vegas. Uh, It was a two day trip. It was super quick uh, for good friends of mine that got married. So I never really experienced Las Vegas or knew much about it um, or the shows for that matter. So I was like, okay, well, I tried looking things up online about it and I, all these great reviews and everything, but I couldn't find any clips of the show. Just a couple uh, photos, like ad photos. It's like, okay. So I auditioned for it and, um, came to find out. I was like, oh, okay, it's a topless show. That's why they don't have a lot of material online. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Um, and um, I got a phone call. Uh, I was teaching at IDA, the same place that Jennifer Nan Smith had taught in Hollywood. And after the class that I taught, I was with one of my girlfriends and we were riding our bikes back to our apartment. And my phone rang and I saw that it was a Las Vegas number. And normally I don't pick up my phone if I don't know the phone number that it is. But when I saw Las Vegas under, I was like, I don't care who it is. It's got to be good. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Just answer. (laughs) So I I pulled my bike off to the side of the road and I answered. And it was Diane Palm, the company manager on the other end. And she said, Danny, we are offering you a job. Would you like to move to Las Vegas in three weeks for a six month contract Uh, in Jubilee? And I just was screaming and crying and laughing all at the same time. I said yes. And three weeks later, later, I moved to Las Vegas and told myself, you know, I'll just do one contract, which were they were six months at the time. I'll do one contract, then I'll move back to LA. And I'll find my grown up adult person job and carry on with life. But I just want to say that, you know, have it down on my resume and say that I was a professional contracted uh, dancer in Las Vegas with a salary. And, and I did that. And now here I am almost eight and a half years later because I fell in love with it. And it was just such a, uh, great show to be a, a part of. Um, unfortunately the show is no longer here in town, but it was the last, uh, showgirl show of its, of its kind, um, in the States. And, um, you know, it was just, it was magical. It really was. And I'm so happy that I had that experience because to this day, um, everybody in Las Vegas, whether they've seen the show or not has heard about its legacy.
0: And I mean, thinking about it, it's pretty incredible that that was your first Vegas gig. Yes. I mean, I've talked to so many different performers who have Laughed afterwards about how they they had to do the uh, the singing cocktail waitress or the dancing dealer gig or something like that. It's an amazing credit to you and your your abilities that that you were able to come to town and land a spot in a show like Jubilee. That's amazing.
1: Oh, thanks, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it, it was it was a uh, it was so incredible that when I got through the rehearsals, I I don't think I've ever been so nervous to get on stage before in my life just because. You know, you're on this football stadium-sized stage with three elevators that drop 25 feet to the ground, raise 25 feet up above the stage. I mean, this theater is massive. And of course, I've, I've performed before, but never in the capacity on this level. So that opening night, I, uh, I, don't, I don't think I could ever possibly be as nervous as I was for that moment in that show. <laughs> but it groomed me well so
0: i want i want to talk about the physicality of of a show like jubilee because i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand or realize how much work or or physical work is involved in a performance like that i mean you mentioned the football field-sized stage so that's that's huge enough in a, as it is, but then you've got things like costumes and then you crazy people are wearing giant high heeled shoes and, and all of that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's incredible to me.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, even looking back on it now, because now that I've been out of the show for a few years, I look back and I'm like, whoa, how did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you get used to it. You do, or you get used to it every night, but yeah, like you said, um, the costumes were so elaborate. And some of them were so heavy, and um, the headdresses that we wore, the backpacks, the hats—some uh, some of the things could weigh up to thirty pounds, sitting on your on your head and your shoulders. And because you have all this weight on top of your head, you can't look down. So when you're going down these giant staircases that we had in finale at the end of the show, you can't look down. If you look down, then your whole hat could take you down, tumbling down hundreds of stairs, in the mi- you know in the middle of the show. <laughs> So um, you have to, you know, you have to find what works for you, um, and also keep your body feeling strong and rested. You know, because uh, it, one wrong little bobble, and and you could get seriously injured. Um, on a uh, in one show, anywhere given, whether it was on stage, backstage, downstairs, because our dressing rooms were down under the stage, and certain numbers we'd have to go back there to change out costumes. But in one show, we counted. Uh, one night. My track did 1,256 stairs. And most nights we had uh, two shows. So yes. So 1,256 times two, that's how many stairs you're doing with weight and in heels. So it did take a toll on my body. There were moments that, you know, I was really injured and, and it wasn't so much about the actual dancing. It was just about uh, the, the mechanics of the show and the costumes and the props and all the stairs.
0: And you were with Jubilee right up until it closed in 2016, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. The very last day I was there and I was uh, physically feeling like I needed a break. Um, At the end of Jubilee, uh, the the very last two shows that last day, uh, I had what's called plantar fasciitis um, and it's very painful to walk on the bottom of your foot. Feels like pins and needles, basically the muscle tissue separates from your heel bone. And it's kind of the same concept as shin splints. Um, so I was going up to the stage level with my crutches, dropping them and, uh, on the side stage, and then going out to do the number, coming back off, getting them to go back down to get changed. So that moment in time, um, plus on top of all the crazy emotions of being a part of this amazing show and it being the last night, I was really looking forward to having a break and um, about a week and a half before that, uh, a bunch of us went to go see one of the shows here in town. And I was like, oh, it's right next door. I'll go check it out. Uh, because every show was offering for the Jubilee dancers to come for free because every show's thinking, oh, great. We have 120 dancers about to be out of work. Let's scoop them up. So we were getting <laughs> free tickets left and right. So I went and saw the show before um, our show before Jubilee ended called Crazy Girls, which I knew had a long history. It started at the Riviera um, and they had this reputation of being the longest running burlesque show in America. And I was like, oh, that seems pretty cool. Um, And there were only like seven people in the show. So that also blew my mind. I I was, you know, in in one out of the five dressing rooms um, that I had at Jubilee. Um, the one that I was stationed to, there were probably about 14 to 20 people in each dressing room. (laughs) So I'm like, there's a show with seven people in it. I gotta check this out. So I saw the show and they held an audition and I went to the audition and um, lo and behold, I got offered a a swing spot because they didn't have any full-time positions in the show. And I, they didn't tell me right away So I walk in on the last night of the show and there were girls in another dressing room. They started clapping. They're like, congratulations, congratulations. And I turned behind me and I was like, who are we clapping for? They're like, Danny, you, I was like, what what are you talking about? They're like, no, we heard today because so-and-so, so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so that was working today at another gig with so-and-so from that show said that they hired a swing with, I had red hair at the time with red hair named Danny. And I was like, Well, that's me, but no one called me. Are you sure about this? (laughs) So I wrote, we did our last show and I went home that night and Jubilee was over and exhausted. And I wrote an email to the producers of crazy girls and they wrote back the next day and they said, Oh, how did you know? Yes, we were going to contact you today. We're just letting you finish your last show. But yes, we we uh, have uh, the position if you're willing to take it. And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny how I found, actually found out. But um, And then I went through rehearsals. I had a little bit of down period to kind of heal my plantar fasciitis situation and uh, started swinging the show after my rehearsals, which was almost exactly a month after Jubilee had closed and um and now i'm still in the show i mean it's been on pause because of covid but um yeah it's been about 4 years
0: when jubilee was coming to an end there and you're mentioning about how you're you're feeling beaten up and and your body has had this amazing toll taken on it for all these years and and you've got to kind of think to a certain degree god i just want some time off
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> i was seriously contemplating at that moment in time um, thinking about, okay, well, maybe, you know, it's been about four years now that I've been here and I my run was longer than I even anticipated and it's been great and magical. Maybe it's time that I go back to California and just kind of reestablish what I want to do there and figure things out, even though it costs so much money to live there, I'll figure it out. <laughs> and, you know, um, I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to do that at the time. And this was even before I, I now own a home out here. And um, I I was just renting a place. And so I was like, no, I don't even want to buy anything because I don't want to be that locked and loaded uh, in this, in the city. And after I saw Crazy Girls and, um, you know, I, I went for the audition a week before Jubilee ended and, and got it the position that following week, it made me reconsider. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just give this one more shot. Because once you leave entertainment, especially the older you get, um you don't, you don't receive the same opportunities anymore and it gets harder and harder to get back into it. So I was like, you know, I really, I'm just going to do this. I have nothing to lose, you know, and and if I'm really in a lot of pain and not enjoying it, then I can leave. I have backup plans. I can do a bunch of different things at this point. Um, so I i decided I was like, you know, I really want to do this. And the show was, I thought it was uh, really uh, well done. The lighting was awesome. That uh, crazy girls is also a topless show, but a different vibe. It's a much more intimate setting, a little a more sensual and, and sexy. Um, and Jubilee is the very classic showgirl and big smiles and, and crazy girls had all these character pieces and solos and featured spots. And so I was really intrigued by all of that. And, you know, thought, well, I haven't been able to be a part of a show that offers any of that. So let me try this and just see what it's like. And I did. And and I 100 percent fell in love with doing that. And because we do one show a night and um, we only have three stairs to get from our dressing room to the stage level. So so it's a lot less demanding um, at night. It still is very physical because there are solos and I do some of the solos in the show. So uh, it's I'd say a little bit more physical in certain aspects for the dancing. But um, you can manage it because it's an hour and 15 minutes every night. Uh, and I'm, I'm miss it so much. I can't wait for the world to get healthy again. So things can open back up and, you know, I can go back to doing what I love.
0: And something else that's kind of cool about crazy girls versus what you were doing with Jubilee, uh, is you are not only a dancer in the show, but you are the host of the show. Yes. How, how fun is it to be able to kind of uh, step out of that comfort zone and do something a little bit different and, and sort of um, expand your horizons creatively with, uh, with crazy girls?
1: Um, it's so different. Um, when I first went into the show, I was a swing and then eventually a full-time spot opened. So, um, uh, I was offered that spot. So then I became a full-time dancer. So I worked six nights a week, one show a night, um, and about a year and a half into the show. Um, my producer came up to me and they were looking to change up the the middle act that they had. They had a male that did comedy and some magic um, and things of that nature at the time. And he had been in the show for a very long time or something like eight or 10 years. But they were looking to, to switch up that whole vibe and put a female that could you know, host the show um, so that they could keep it all women in the show. And he came up to me and he was like, uh, Danny, you know, He's like, what, you're New York, Italian, and you like to talk to people. Why don't you put together 15 minutes and show me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay, that sounds great. Well, shoot, I started doing that. And you realize 15 minutes, first of all, is a long time. (laughs) And for somebody, you know, I've never spoken on a stage. I've never spoken that capacity before with an audience. So then I realized what I got myself into. But once I commit to something, I have to do it. So I was like, well, if this is all complete shit, then he'll just say, nope it's not for you and he'll go a different route and I'll just continue dancing happily in the show because I really enjoy it so uh you know fast forward about a month and a half later and he wants to see stuff and and now it's even you know changed 180 since that point but um he he liked you know the the bones of what I had and I kept narrowing things down and tightening things up and now I have like a solid 10 to 12 minutes that I speak in the middle of the show and uh some of it's just conversational and I Talk to different audience members, and then some of it is uh, you know, jokes. I do little one liners and little stories with uh, you know, joke backgrounds of things that have happened in my life or friends around me, and and I i love it. It's 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 become a, a new hobby of mine so much to the point where now I've been dabbling with um, doing stand up and trying to write my own original, you know, great content. And uh, I just had done my first um, uh, open mic night here in Las Vegas. It was a Tuesday. It was the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. There's probably going to be people that we know in town. It's okay. I'm just getting up there. This is for me and I got to have fun. So I did it. It went really well. And I was looking forward to coming back and doing the next week because there are definitely some things that I needed to improve on that first time. And that was on a Tuesday and then it was Sunday and the world shut down. And I was like, no, I just finally like put my big girl pants on and said that you know, could talk myself into doing this, and now the world shut down. <laughs> but it's okay. It's given me lots of time to work on things and think about things.
0: Well, I have to say, hats off to you, and I admire you in a in a big way for taking the step out of your comfort zone and trying something like stand-up comedy. I've I've gotten to know a few stand-up comedians and spent time with them and 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 it never ceases to amaze me how easy they make it look. I know, and it's not easy to do by any stretch of the imagination. And and as you said, fifteen minutes—that is forever. <laughs> That's forever.
1: Especially now that I know, you know, I can get on. I can get on stage and I can talk to people and I can stretch that out for some time. But if you're, uh, you know, perfecting the craft of comedy and you're following that. You know, there should be a laugh or a joke every 15 seconds. Well, 15 seconds divided by 15 minutes is a lot of jokes. (laughs) It's a lot.
0: And God forbid something falls flat and there is no 15 seconds (laughs) left.
1: That's the scariest part. I'm sweating right now. Just thinking about it. But it's also what makes it so much fun too. That's what gets my adrenaline going. I love a good, you know, adrenaline rush. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I I do want to talk about COVID and the pandemic and, and all of that and how that's affected you guys. It, it, it kills me to see shows shut down and, and my friends, people that I consider family that I see more often than I see my real family, or I used to see more often than I see my real family going through all of this. But it's amazed me how so many of you guys have managed to keep busy throughout the pandemic and and stay in front of an audience, even if it's just a a virtual audience. Um, You've managed to do that in in some great ways and some really interesting ways. Folks that may not know, you're engaged to Murray the Magician, who I've had on the podcast.
1: I am.
0: Yes. Murray's an awesome guy and, and was so much fun to talk to. And you guys have kept so busy throughout this doing so many different things.
1: We really have. It's been a great time, you know. And Murray and I, uh, before COVID were both so busy all the time, you know, doing my show and him doing his. And then he had just got a, a guest spot position in another show down the strip. So now he was doing two shows. And, um, you know, six nights a week, and, and even on our days off, sometimes we would be picking up gigs or, or different jobs here or there. So we never had a whole lot of time to do the things that, you know, people that work maybe in a, a normal schedule and have like a, a Friday night uh, until, you know, Monday morning off to go do a weekend trip and things of that nature. So we've gotten to see family members, we got to uh, go up to Canada um, for the first time and where he grew up he got to show me that and hang out with mom Sawchuk, and then we got to go to upstate new york and see my parents and i got to show him around where i grew up and all my favorite spots and you know where i was wonder woman and <laughs> all sorts of fun you know little day trips and um, and then we also started a landscaping business called dirt to dreams landscaping and um, it's really taken off i mean we started just putting some flyers out and then word of mouth and and had a couple, you know, big jobs where we'd go and, and redo somebody's backyard that might take us two to three days. And so those were a little bit more sporadic. But now uh, we have received a couple HOA contracts and we're doing like a dozen houses a week where we're going out and trimming bushes and trees and doing yard cleanups. And then, you know, we get the a couple or once or twice a week, we get one of the the big projects to do something super fun, like, you know, transform somebody's backyard, which is also one of our, our favorite uh, projects to do because we're both so creative that you get to design this new yard for, you know, for somebody to enjoy their space. Uh, So that's been great. And I also do massage therapy. So, and I do that out of my home and um, and I still am taking clients as long as everybody is, you know, or everybody's following the COVID rules uh so that keeps me busy and Murray's back to work which is awesome he's like one of the only shows on the strip that's actually performing um and you know so we're still keeping busy but we've enjoyed this time to have uh more experiences and time together and it's really been great for us you know they i guess uh, somebody told me the other day like oh yep covid it either uh, tears apart or builds up a relationship <laughs> and we got engaged so ours is a build up situation <laughs>
0: That's so awesome. And I love hearing the the positive stories that are coming out of this. You're not the first person I've talked to who said, you know what? It's been kind of nice to be able to take this step away and focus on some passion projects that we haven't been able to work on for the last X number of years because we've been doing a, a a headlining show on the strip seven nights a week and just going crazy out of our minds busy. And I think it's really cool that you guys have have stepped out and done something so different from entertainment for yourself and, and Murray to, to do something like that, I think is is really, really cool.
1: He's so good at it too. I mean, uh, between between the two of us, we own three houses and um, he did his front and backyard of both houses that he owns. He built a fireplace. He built a little mini putt putt on the side of the house and then on the house that I own a couple of years ago. And this is before he even had the idea like, hey, honey, do you think we should start a business? Because I think we should do that. Um, you know, during COVID, he's been doing this stuff for years. And so we redid the front yard of the house that I own. And then um, during the pandemic, when we got to go visit my siblings, um, we redid uh, her little patio back area and put in some fake grass. And so we've just been finding ourselves to keep busy in general during the pandemic Is saying, oh, uh, you know, do you need a, your backyard or something? You buy the supplies. We'll come and redesign everything for you. And then we realized, hey, we should probably um, maybe make this into a business while, uh, oh yeah, we don't have jobs. So So, yeah, it's been awesome.
0: Speaking of um, getting back out and, and performing um, one of the, the best parts about going to a Vegas show was the intimacy of it. And you're in this room and you're not very far from the performers you know you can see them clearly and they can see you clearly and you're you're in there tight with a bunch of strangers and and just really enjoying a show um as things start to open up and they open up with restrictions how do you see this affecting uh, a show, for example, like crazy girls, it, it, how is this going to affect the, the audience experience, the, uh, the performer experience? What, what do you foresee as, as the big changes?
1: I guess the real answer is we won't know until we get there, but I, I think without a doubt in my mind that first of all, I don't think that entertainment will go anywhere because entertainment is what it's, it's people's escape. It's what makes people smile. It you know, it's, it's, what they look forward to doing in their free time to, you know, to lift their spirits. So I think that there's always going to be a need and a want for entertainment. I think the capacity of what is going to do well is, is definitely going to change uh, once the world comes back. Uh, I think uh, for our show, Crazy Girls, uh, like Murray's show as well, because they're smaller shows um, and they have less overhead uh, and, you know, cheaper, ticket prices compared to seeing some big production show like uh, a Cirque show, I think that they're going to thrive. I think that people um, are going to uh, appreciate shows more. And because of that, they'll be more selective and um, and we'll have better audiences and um, people that really want to be there and that need it. And I think that Crazy Girls is going to really thrive when we're able to open back up and get back to doing what we love.
0: Hopefully that's uh, sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, hopefully sooner than later. You know, we're hoping by the spring, you know, there's talk. I mean, it could be next week, but that probably won't be the case um, just because of where the pandemic's at and, uh, you know, where the world's at with how many um, vaccines have been released and stuff. But there is improvement. There is the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, I know it will definitely happen. It's just a matter of time. And, um, you know, our our state right now is still under some fairly strict um, uh, restrictions or state guidelines just due to trying to keep everybody healthy. But as time goes on and there's more vaccines and the numbers drop more and more, uh, the likeliness of us coming back, you know, hopefully sooner than later.
0: And if people want to keep up with you on social media, you are quite active, particularly on Instagram. Uh, How would a person go about finding you?
1: Uh, Danny Showgirl, D-A-N-I Showgirl on Instagram. And Facebook is Danny Elizabeth, uh, Danny Elizabeth 7, if you happen to be on TikTok. But Instagram is definitely one of my favorite platforms. And then coming in the next week or two, uh, we have some projects coming up on social media and on Facebook, I'll have a page that will be launched. And um, it's called It's Danny Elizabeth. We have a bunch of really cool videos and um, some pranks with showgirls and some cool stuff that will be on there. So you'll have to check it out.
0: Awesome. Looking forward to uh, to checking all that out. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on and uh, chat with me. I really, really appreciate this. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Once again, if you want to keep up with what Danny is up to, follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Danny Showgirl or hit the links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up yet another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at JeffDoesVegas. You can also email me directly at jeff at jeffdoesvegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 82 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.